Take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew 7, if you will. I don't know how it is with you, but I suspect that you are uh, enough like me that we always are fighting the double standard. Uh, Jesus is going to hit us between the eyes with that here in just a minute, but uh, let me give you an example of how that plays out sometimes. When I was a youth minister many, many moons ago, uh, I decided at the age of probably mid to late 20s, I suppose, that uh, I needed to grow a full beard. And the uh, problem, I had had beards before, but the problem with me growing a full beard then, I don't know what it would be now, but uh, the problem was I, I was so holy that it was difficult for me to grow a full beard. And what I mean by that is I had holes here and holes here and holes here. And so whenever I tried to grow a beard, it just looked like a homeless guy. All right. Not that there's anything wrong with homeless guys. It just this one looked ugly. And uh, I went to church one day and I'd been growing this beard for, I don't know, a long time. And one of the men in the church uh, caught me at the door and he said, you trying to grow a beard? Of course, my response was, I've been growing a beard for three months. You're just now asking me that? Well, that ought to tell you what he saw. But what he said was this. He said, listen, Mark, when you want to grow a beard, he says, it's really important that you shave all down in here under your neck. You need to trim all that up. Don't grow it like, you know, one solid face of hair that grows all the way down your chest. He said, you need to cut it around your neck some. And I looked at him and I said something to the... Well, these days, I would say, Really? And the reason I would say that was he's giving me personal grooming hints, tips, and his beard had never been touched by anything sharp, all right? The things he was telling me not to do was all over his face and his neck and the side of his neck and his ears. He had air everywhere. And so my response to him, after I checked back the smart aleck, okay, no, I didn't check back the smart aleck part of it at all. I just looked at him and I said this. So let me get this straight. You who lets hair grow everywhere are telling me how to do personal grooming. Is that right? Now, he was much older than I was. He was also much uh, more dignified than I was until that moment. And when I called him on that double standard, all of a sudden, we were not going to get along. It was obvious. Now, that's a nice, simple, really not that much tied to it kind of an encounter. But let me just turn it and put it right on you this morning. How much in danger are you of holding a double standard when it comes to people at church? Or people in your circle. Or people not in your circle. Jesus hits us with this. Matthew chapter 7. It starts, it is verse 12. That's all we're going to look at today. And I'll read it here in just a moment. But here's the deal. We come now in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has one last overarching kind of a truth to put out. And then once we get that out, he immediately drops in to begin to uh, close off this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, let's uh, see what Jesus has to say. Now, Spencer, I brought the New International Version, so if you have ESV, put it up for me, if you will, and I'll run it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Here's the way the NIV reads, and I'll, go, I'll come back to the other one. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law 
and the prophets. What do we call that? The golden rule. Have you ever stopped to think why we call it that? They say that the silver rule is don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. I like the road travel version. Actually, it's not, we're not, it's not just ours. Lots of people use this one. Do unto others before they do unto you. You know that one, don't you? All right. The golden rule. You know, people tell us, or at least there's some discussion out there, that people who are not Christian at all, who have very little, if any, contact in the church, recognize this statement by Jesus more than any other statement that he made. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, what does that mean? How do we wear that on a day-to-day kind of a basis? I'm convinced that we are always, as Christian people, one breath away from holding a double standard where we let things go with us, but we won't let them go with other people. That's the idea behind what Jesus says here. Not a whole lot of explanation today. I'll do more application than explanation in this time. But let me do give you a couple of points of quick explanation here. First of all, the first word here is important for us. Actually, in the NIV, well, it is the first word in the NIV. It may not be in the ESV. The word so, your translation may say therefore. The importance of that is that we see that Jesus is tying this truth into everything that he said up to this point. Most notably, we just finished last week with the ask and the seek and the knock stuff. And then before that, we were in the don't judge stuff. And before that, we were in the whole Sermon on the Mount where one thing after another, Jesus explains what he means with the statement in chapter 5, verse 13 through 20 thereabouts. He says this one basic truth, the thesis of the sermon, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders... Unless your righteousness is beyond theirs, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He uses the whole Sermon on the Mount to explain to us in very practical terms what that looks like. And now he summarizes it with the word therefore. Because of all that I've said to this point, he says, let me just say it this way. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Let me tell you what he's not saying. All across history, we've tried to make him say, do to others in order to get them to do to you. Do good things so that people will do good things in return. That's not what he says. Neither does he say, do good things because they've already done good things to you. Jesus is not saying to us, here's a conditional kind of thing. As long as other people are treating you right, or as long as you have some uh, motive in getting them to treat you right, then you do right by them. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is proactively, actively do good. I'll put it in my terms. What he's saying to us is, with God, people matter. So with you, people have to matter. How do we... Treat people. It's a significant statement. It's so significant that Jesus, in giving us this truth, pulls it all the way back to the Old Testament. That last part of it that we find there, he says, For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
want you to keep your place here. Let me give you a couple of examples of what Jesus is saying here when he says it sums up the law and the prophets. Hold your place here. Go back with me to Leviticus. That's one of those books that uh, don't get a whole lot or doesn't get a whole lot of play in most uh, sermons these days. But in Leviticus chapter 19, actually we could go any number of places in the law and find some of this kind of stuff. But in Leviticus 19 and verses 13 and following, we find these statutes for the children of Israel as God lays them out for them. Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 13, he says this. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Most of us are off the hook there. Verse, uh, latter part of that. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Now here's the reason for that. In that time frame, they didn't have banks and they didn't have repositories and that kind of thing, depositories and all that kind of stuff that they had to pay them at the end of the day so that they could buy the food they needed to get through the next day. And so he's saying if you're a person who is a landowner or a merchant or whatever, the people who work for you, when you, when they earn a pay, you pay them with that. Don't hold it back so that you get more interest off of it. Verse 14, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Here's one for the church of our day. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. I'm going to stop reading there. We could continue going on. What we find in that portion of the law and other places is a basic teaching from God to the children of Israel. Let these things govern how you deal with each other. Essentially... Jesus says, what he's saying back there through Moses and the law, I am saying to you, do unto your neighbor as you would have them do to you. You want people going around slandering your name, telling things about you that are not true, destroying your reputation? If you want that, something's not right with you. If you don't want that, be sure that you're not that person doing it to other people. See, that's easier said than done. Because you know, you know how it is? Sometimes you just get that little piece of information about old sister so-and-so, and you're sure that as a prayer request, it would sound great coming out over the phone with someone. How about the prophets? That's a picture of the law. How about the prophets? Amos chapter 2. Go there. Keep your place in Matthew, but go back to Amos chapter 2. Because in Amos chapter 2, we find something that's... Fairly consistent with the minor prophets at least. And that is that they recognize that the people of God have abandoned the law of God. And so these prophets are sent. Amos was a, just a regular businessman. A shepherd and a farmer together. And God called him to be his prophet. Amos said, I don't want to do that. God said, I'm calling you to do it. And here's your message. So in Amos chapter 2 verse 6. Here's what he says. This is Amos speaking on behalf of the Lord. Verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. That's gross profiteering, we would call that. They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. 
father and son, used the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. What he's saying is these rich ruling class people are denying justice and living unrighteously and treating people as if they don't matter. At the same time, calling themselves the children of God and blessed by God. The old double standard. It sneaks up on us, sometimes jumps on us, but usually we just usher it in by choice. What do we find here that helps us? Here's the basic truth. I'm going to make several applications and then we're going to go this morning. But here's the basic truth. I've said it once. I want to say it again. With God, people matter. God cares when people are not handled well. And by extension, we should have people matter to us as well. As his people, we should mirror his concern for all people. Let's talk about this and see how this do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let's see how that fits, for instance, in marriage. Let's just have a testimony time here. Let's hear what's going wrong in your marriage, what your spouse does wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I just going to actually see if any of you were awake enough to be ready for that. I do premarital counseling from time to time. When people ask me to do a wedding for them, if I possibly can make them do it, I want them to go through premarital counseling. Mainly because most young couples getting ready to get married have no clue what's ahead of them after the ceremony is over. And so uh, I do a number of things with a couple in the middle of premarital counseling. Uh, let me get to a few of them for you. Answer this question. What is the correct way to squeeze toothpaste out of a toothpaste deal? Now, invariably, there are two answers. Okay, Only one is correct, right? Hello? Only one's correct. Which one is correct? Mine. Mine is always correct, okay? So there is the option of squeezing toothpaste from the middle, all right? I join men everywhere and say that's obviously the best way. But somehow there are those people who see it differently, and they say you should squeeze it from the bottom. Now, I like what they said in the first service today. When I was going through this, somebody out there held up their fingers like this. You know what that means? Just buy a second tube, okay? Because you're going to have problems in your marriage if you don't do it right. That's right. That is right. <laughs> now, is that a double standard kind of thing? Well, yes and no. It's not that big a deal. Except it highlights a truth in marriage. Let me give you another one. I don't want to be like out of line or anything like that. I mean, I know this is church and all that. But here's the question that I often ask a young couple as I'm trying to figure out if they're ready to get married or not. Is it appropriate for the man to leave the commode seat up? No. See? Right there. Divided. Right down the middle. Church just split. Now, what are the real issues on those things? I didn't even get to the stuff about leaving clothes laying in corners of rooms. Uh, don't even bother with the corner. Just leave them laying where you take them off. It'd be fine. Except when it's not, which is every time you do it. 
What's the real issue in those situations? The issue is, I remember I've always said with y'all, the essence of sin is control, and we're all eating up with that problem. And so sometimes those simple things that I just talked about half-heartedly, those are real issues for people because it becomes a control issue. You can read that a sin issue. But behind all of that, something as simple and non-threatening as a toothpaste tube, it comes down to respect. Probably the single thing that I find in marriage counseling, now I'm not doing premarital, I'm talking about marriage counseling, is that somewhere along the line, if they ever had it, there has been a destruction of trust in the relationship. And when trust breaks, for whatever reason, respect goes with it. Do unto others so that they don't do unto you. Is that right? That's wrong. Are y'all even there today? Nope. All right. Do how's it go? Do unto others. All right. You believe that? Let's take it off of marriage, and let's put it on. Oh, let's put it on political campaigns. You watch the debates yet? If you're suffering from lack of sleep, I highly recommend the debates. (laughs) Now, I've missed the two presidential debates, but I'm okay with that. I did get to see the vice presidential debate. I'm glad there was only one of those. Wouldn't it be nice tomorrow night for this final debate... If one of the two candidates, and I'm not even deciding which one, I just let's just pick one of them, okay? If one of the two candidates came out and said, you know, in the spirit of the golden rule, I want to say that my opponent would make a great choice as president. And by the way, all of those times that I've said you're a liar, now I haven't really said you're a liar, but everybody knows you're a liar. Um, You don't know which one I'm talking about, all right? But the candidate says, everybody knows you're a liar. We all know that. But I want to withdraw, retract all of those accusations that you've been less than forthright with us. And I just want to say to the American people, this would be a great person to be president, either again or for the first time. What are the chances you're going to see that tomorrow night on the debates? Zero. You know why? Because America doesn't believe the golden rule. At least not in politics. This is one of those things. It's the reason I'm not trying to be all flowery and you know explain a whole lot this morning. This is so simple. The concept, the truth that Jesus puts out here is so simple. And yet, as one guy used to say, my dad gives all kinds of short sayings that you know, hold a lot. The problem with the obvious is it's just too obvious for some people. And in this case, the golden rule that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this is the law and the prophets all summed up together. What Jesus is saying with that, don't don't miss this. This is so simplified. This is the gospel boiled down in a key way, at least the Old Testament side of it. Just treat people right. No discussion about whether they deserve it. No discussion about whether they hurt you before. Just 
treat them right. But we find all kinds of loopholes in that that let us off of the hook because after all, I really don't think so-and-so deserves to be treated right. So we see it in marriage. We see it in the political sphere. How about those of us who are parents? How about in our parenting? How do we do with this? Recently, we've uh, had the occasion to uh, spend a little more time with our gathered family than before uh, the previous few months. And uh, last weekend, especially, Teresa and I drove over to Conroe and spent the afternoon with our daughter-in-law. She's on bed rest due to deliver a baby um, around Thanksgiving, probably comes earlier than that. But she's uh, in bed rest now, and our son was out working, which I'm always pleased when I hear that. Um, And uh, so we were reflecting back a little bit on our life together as a family. Brandon, the son I'm talking about, is our oldest child. And uh, when I moved off to go to school, decided to do what the Lord told me to do, I quit my job in the oil field of West Texas and moved to uh, Plainview and started working there, served a church there. He was three months old when we left. When we moved away from there, it was, he was probably two and a half or three almost. And in those days... We didn't have any other children, just Brandon. And so I spent a lot of time with him, and he was my little buddy. And so much so was he my little buddy that when I would go home for lunch, uh, Teresa said that he would go stand at the door and just scream and cry when I left. Oh, he's a brilliant young man. I just love that boy. Um, And then something happened. See, in those days, I loved being around him. We'd play. I mean, we'd scrape together money for Christmas presents because we were making nothing. You know, I mean, we're just trying to go to college and get out and work alongside and get some experience. And so uh, it was just us. And then something happened to Brandon. He grew up. And no longer was he the one standing at the door crying for his dad. Uh, he was the one that his dad wanted to I see. All right, I'm in church. Okay, uh, let me see how I could say this well. Uh, I was ready to decapitate him if I could. You ever feel that way, parents? Now, maybe not quite to that extent, but you get the idea. And this is a good time to remember the golden rule. And by the way, this is not the he who has the gold makes the rule. I use that with him, too. This is the one, as a parent, when your kids, whether they're teenagers or adults or little bitty kids, when they get on your last nerve, what is the tone of your voice as you talk to them? How do your children process the way you talk to them? Now, I was a youth minister for a long time, and I dealt with a lot of teenagers, most of whom had parents who were church leaders in one way or another. And all of those years ago, what I found was a lot of kids who came to church and whose parents were involved in church hated their parents because their parents acted like they hated the kids. 
And I was privy to some discussions where I heard the tone as it was mutually attacking with those kids and parents. One of the reasons that kids have a hard time honoring their parents is because parents don't respect their children. Now, they still need to be instructed in the way of the Lord from time to time, but you can be respectful with them even in the midst of that. This is a simple statement. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the law and the prophets summed up, Jesus says. And it looks great when we embroider it and put in a frame and hang it in our walls. Just don't ask me to live it, preacher. So we ignore it in our marriages often. We ignore it in political stuff. And we certainly ignore it in our homes. And I could go on about how we deal with each other at work. I always like to deal with these kind of things as it relates to how we drive around in traffic. You know the person that comes up behind you? Now, some of you drive these big, huge trucks, and, you know, I'm working. I'll get one of these one of these days. But right now, I drive these little cars. You know what? Some of your trucks with those super bright headlights, uh, when you pull right up on behind somebody in a small car, they get sunburn off of the mirror from your lights. People don't know how to drive with this verse in mind. Or at least they don't act like they do. Basic stuff. This is basic Christianity. This is basic humanity, even. And yet it so easily gets pushed off to the side because it's really not all that palatable for us. We don't like the way it tastes in our mouth when we don't get to have our way with other people. So what do you do with all of this? Let me, let me give you just a for instance, and then I'm going to close it off this morning. Stuart Briscoe, who's a professor, before he was a professor, had a job in a bank. And uh, one day his boss came in to him and said, Hey, listen, Mr. So-and-so is going to call later. He said, I want you to tell him that I'm out of the office. And Briscoe said to his boss, Oh, so you're not going to be here this afternoon. His boss said, no, I'm going to be here. I just don't want to talk to him. So you tell him that I'm not here when he calls. Briscoe looked at him and he said, so let me get this straight. You're asking me to lie to him. Is that right? His boss hit the roof, just went ballistic. Stuart Briscoe in the middle of that said, you know, and I think the Holy Spirit gave me this word to say to him because when I did, it brought it all into perspective. He said, sir, if you think about it, if I won't lie for you, I won't lie to you either. The double standards that we take into our lives on a day-to-day basis have no place in the kingdom of God. So how are you doing with that these days? Let's pray. So, Father, we ask you to help us where we most struggle. It seems that so often we take Scripture and we hold on to the ones that we like the best. The ones that stretch us, we just kind of want to push them off to the side and uh, just keep on holding to the ones that make us feel good. This is a reminder today. That you expect us 
to treat people correctly. If we're just to be real honest with you, as you require us to be, that's easy with some people, and with some people it's awfully, awfully hard. Problem's not theirs, it's ours. So I pray that you'd help us with this. Without trying to be lording it over anybody or attacking in the way we say it. Father, we all need help with this. We don't treat people well much of the time. From the restaurants we go to, to our homes, to church, to our jobs, even as we drive. We treat people as as if they are less than us. And I thank you that you give us a reminder that on the cross, you identified with us. And the only person in all of history who could really say that was better than any of the rest of us, and yet you identified with us because of your love for us. Help us to model that in Jesus' name.